I am Duncan MacLeod, born 400 years ago in the highlands of Scotland. I am immortal, and I am not alone. For centuries we have waited for the time of the gathering, when the stroke of a sword and the fall of a head will release the power of the quickening. In the end, there can be only one. And welcome to Let's Watch Highlander. This is Let's Watch Highlander, episode number 10. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis, and with me is Audie. Hey, how's it going? Hey. So, all right, episode number 10. The title is Eyewitness. This one is a very Tessa-centric episode again. Uh, Tessa is at an art gallery. She's giving a, uh, a, she has a gallery presentation of her art. She meets an interesting woman at the art presentation who sort of captivates her before just sort of disappearing. And later that night, she sees the woman across the, it looks like across the river on a bridge with some man. There's a struggle. She looks away for a second, be getting distracted, looks back. The woman is gone. So Tessa obviously believes that uh, the woman was murdered, tells the cops they don't believe her. And the first kind of half of the episode is really sort of this, it, was she imagining it? Did she, you know, I think we're led to believe that she did see what she saw, but nobody really believes her. Even Duncan questions her a little bit at one point. And then it's sort of revealed, well, it, not sort of, it's revealed that uh, the woman and her body washed up on shore. The cops are now taking her seriously. And the tone of the episode kind of switches from almost, the first half is almost more of a thriller uh, a whodunit, or did it really happen type thing. In the second half of the episode, the evil immortal, who is Chief Balin of the police force, we'll get into that in a little bit, mm-hmm. He try, he's trying to kill Tessa to silence her. And Duncan has to basically take him on and defeats him uh, in front of apparently the Epcot Dome. I don't know. I don't know what that thing right. was. And that's, that's the episode. Epcot, mini. Yeah, mini Epcot Center. That's kind of the episode. There's there's not a whole lot to it as far as like deep plot, but yeah, it's it's not a bad episode. Yeah, I mean it's it's a Tessa episode and just dealing with her dealing with all this stuff, and then eventually an immortal is a part of it. So, Chief, remember that woman I told you about—the one who thinks she saw a murder at the bridge? Vaguely, whatever. Well, I know we don't have much, but uh, from what I know of her, she's not the kind of woman who makes things up, and she's very persistent. Okay, for guest stars this week, um, I mean, our, we have an evil immortal. He is Andrew Ballin, or Ball... Is it Ballin? Ba- Ballin, something like that. I can't remember. They, they say like it that. once. Uh, he's played yeah. by Tom Butler. Tom Butler being a character actor. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. He's yet another in a line of, uh, of character actors that appear in Highlander where it's... Oh, I know that guy. I've seen him before. And then you have to go through his IMDb resume to find what it was. Right. Uh, I remember him in an episode of Psych. I remember him in an episode of The X-Files. You know, he's been in a few things. He's fine. He is a very bog standard uh, evil immortal once again. Mm-hmm. He kind of doesn't really care for mortal life. He doesn't really value it at all. There's not a whole lot else to say about him. He's just a bad guy. Yeah, it's weird. There's not much to him other than the fact that he happens to be chief of police. Yeah, which... Like, that's the more interesting thing about him. 
Yeah, and that was the thing that honestly didn't work for me at all, was having him as the chief of police. And then the reason for that is, if he's the chief of police, how long has he been the chief of police? We haven't had him mentioned at all in the series to this point. Mm-hmm. Duncan has been has come across the cops in virtually all nine episodes so far. Right. And for him to not make his presence known at all, for Duncan not to know that he's there, that sort of bothered me. And it didn't it just didn't make sense. It didn't jive with the rest of the show to this point. Yeah, for sure. Because the number of times he's been in the police station, there should have been a tingle if the immortal was there. So well, especially given that in this episode, he felt him across the street and up in a building before he shot Tessa. He felt his presence. Mm-hmm. So if he was anywhere inside the precinct when Duncan was there, they should have felt each other. And that didn't happen. Right. So we get no, I mean, we have zero backstory on this dude other than he's an immortal. We don't know where he came from. Right. We don't know how old he is. Any of that. He, the the closest we get to any anything like that is him saying, I wasn't going to come for you yet. Like, okay, that, that, does, that tells us nothing. So I feel like that was a, a bit of a wasted opportunity at, you know, fleshing out an actual character instead of he's barely a character in this episode. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, we also did have Tim Reed as Sergeant Bennett returning. Um, mm-hmm. And he gets a little bit more in this episode. Once again, doesn't believe Duncan, doesn't really yep. believe Tessa, um, does apologize to her at the end, which I did like. You, know, you can t- you can tell he's a good guy. Yeah, because at one point he's talking to the chief about it. he's like, I know it sounds like she's barking up a tree, but she doesn't seem like one to lie to me. Like he can tell that Tessa's a good person. It's not just him being a hard ass on her. It's just like, look, you've only given me so much information. There's only so much I can do. Yes, exactly. And I like Tim Reed. I I kind of wish his character would have been more prominent in the series. He, he would have made a good watcher, I think, to have Yeah. later on. Not that I want necessarily to, to remove Joe Dawson, because when we get to him, that's going to be great, and he really elevates oh, yeah. the show. But he would have been a great kind of recurring watcher, or, a re- or Sergeant Bennett just coming back every so often, every few episodes when they're in Seacover to have him there, I think would be mm-hmm. I also feel like ha- making Balin the chief whether it's chief of dete- I mean chief of police basically which once again that's a terrible spot to put him in because now you have any anything dealing with the police it's like okay up until this point you know you 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 start questioning the police in the in the series up until this point and it's never going to get mentioned again right i mean they yeah it's weird they find their chief of police beheaded and all we're going to get out of it is one line of, man, you think you know somebody like that. Oh, that uh-huh. It's one thing if it was another cop, right? If it was another detective, even if it was like a captain, I might allow for that. If it was a captain from a different precinct or something who happened to be in this area, but to make him the chief of police and then you're never going to mention him again. That, uh, I don't know. I don't like that because... It just takes all the teeth out of like making him a bad guy. And again, it's not a character. It's a, uh, a plot device at that point. Yeah. This is definitely one of those where they used it simply to put him in a place where he could kind of manipulate the police mm-hmm. easily without explaining too much and just being hand wavy to the rest of it. Yeah. Yep. I think 
with more time and some better writing, the character could have been interesting and it could have actually made like you could have had him pop up here and there or make him like a background player and you don't know who he is for a few episodes and then all of a sudden he gets revealed. Um, something like that. But yeah, it just it doesn't jive with the rest of the show. And that's yeah. what really bothered me. It's it's a plot device only. It's a character in name only, and that's you know, it's just to me that's a little weak. Mm-hmm. And so, especially with no connection to Duncan, like, yeah, you know, we, we always talk about flashbacks. There's no flashback in this. Like, there's no connection at all. It's just another mm-hmm. mortal. Right. And and you can get away with that. You can get away with Duncan having no connection previously to this immortal. But you maybe give us a flashback of this immortal doing something else or the Anne character um, who mm-hmm. that he murders. Yeah. Like. Give us something more to him than just, hi, I'm Bob Evil, and you know I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to kill this woman and then try and kill Duncan. Like, it just, it falls flat. It feels like that was tacked on. Like, they had this cool idea of, you know, have Tessa witness a murder that an immortal does, and then we can reveal that it's an immortal, but they were like, that's all the thought they put into it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, given that the first, Duncan- oh, go ahead. I was going to say, Duncan later on says he recognizes Anne's work and he recognizes the painting and recognizes when he saw it. And the, the Anne's caretaker lady was like, you wouldn't have been old enough to see that. And it's like, well, there's a whole plot point where we could have had Duncan interact with Anne back in the day and have him just barely, you know, um, just barely miss our chief of police immortal here. Like, you know, not not tingle, get close to him, but just, you know, happen to be in the same place and they just miss, miss each other and then they come back around now. Yeah, that would have been great 20 years later and then they finally get to meet. Something mm-hmm. along those lines would have been good. But I just, yeah, it just felt like a waste of a character and, you know, it it, it took away from Tim Reed's screen time as Sergeant Bennett yeah. because, I don't know, again, you got to have a bad guy in an episode, but this one just fell flat. And it's a bummer because yeah. it's a waste of a Tim Reed episode. We only had like, I think we figured out there's only two or three times he's on the show. And sadly, mm-hmm. this has to be one of them. Yeah. Um, and we did get a return of Randy McFarland, our favorite intrepid reporter. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I feel like you have thoughts on this, so I'm going to let you go ahead and voice those. Well, it's, this was an interesting one because I feel like they're trying to make Randy human. And in mm. this one, they try really hard, but somehow, I don't know what it was if it's just the way she acts in just the particular way, it just misses the mark for me. It's like, you're trying too hard, not trying enough. The dialogue's just off just enough. It's like, okay, Randy's here, but she didn't do anything but try to be a friend to Tessa in her own weird way. Yes, and, and I, I think that that could work if the character had stuck around and if had the character had grown and become a bigger part of the show, the problem mm-hmm. is that hindsight-wise, we know she doesn't stick around much longer. So this this idea of like, okay, we're going to build this potential, at least respect between her and, and Tessa, mm-hmm. and it's not there. Because you're right, they were really trying to humanize her in this. And I felt... I felt like they were they were doing a decent job of that overall. It's just that the mm-hmm. character doesn't deserve it at this point, right? right. Like we, I we've, mean, when we've, she first walks in, 
their gloves are off and they're just smacking her around verbally about her job and the way she handles herself. Mm-hmm. And it's just oh, like, yeah. geez, Louise. Even at some point, I'm like, back off, guys. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I know it, but jeez. Nope, definitely. And it, again, I, I kind of, I, I agree with you that the moment where she comes up to the cop car when they're taking Tessa off for protective custody and she's like, you're right she is dead and I couldn't do anything like that was a moment to try and really humanize her. And it did sort of feel forced. It didn't quite hit mm-hmm. the mark. So I, I mean, we only have a few more episodes with her and I've said it a few times now, but I'm going to say it again. Amanda Wiss, she's fine. She's a fine actress. She was just not given much with this character. And it's unfortunate because I can see flashes of a decent actor in there and I can see mm-hmm. somebody who could have been oh, compelling, sure. you know, given the right material and it just wasn't there so yeah it's a i feel like this episode this episode they're trying to humanize her to i feel like this is one of those things where they're trying to sketch out what she could be and they never it's it's a sketch they never get to a full rendering of you know right yeah that's a good way to put it so those are and we'll just go ahead and say we're gonna skip the portion uh talking about flashback because there's no flashback to talk about so yeah But there is a good bit to talk about with Tessa. Yes. So you're telling me all this blood came from you hitting the steering wheel? It could have been a lot worse, Sergeant. But those seatbelts, they're a lifesaver. All right. So this episode featured Tessa quite a bit. But before we get to her, I do want to mention Richie. Mm -hmm. He's not in the episode a lot. He, He actually does kick off the episode, though, in what was attempting to be a funny scene and just felt dumb. And that's him trying to parallel park. Yeah. That I actually wrote the the a note down to myself as why I don't parallel park. But like the worst mm-hmm. parallel parking you could imagine. Like he goes in nose first and then he backs up and then he backs into the car behind it. And then he, he ends up parked at an angle and writes out of order and puts it like he's just doing every tropey thing about trying to park. Mm-hmm. And, and they even had the pedestrians walking by and seeing the note and, you know, joking to themselves like, is that really going to work? I'm like, yeah. Wow, really, really go as far as you can with that joke, people. Yeah, that was super ham-fisted. And then he goes inside, and he's doing the whole, you know, checking himself out in the mirror. And I did think it was funny, though. I My other note to myself was, Richie's trying to spit game. Just listen to Tessa, be yourself. And sure enough, that's what works, right? Once he, right. Once he runs out of things to talk about and just says, I don't know anything about art, the girl's all about him, and they end up going on a date, and we get a montage of them walking around town. Again, yeah. uh, you want to have Richie in the episode, but that's that's time taken away from moving a plot forward with a bad guy. So, right, it's it's sort of that thing of like not quite using your screen time effectively in order to shoehorn mm-hmm. Richie in because that's really all he does. The rest of the episode, I think, he doesn't really he do a, much. He has a good idea later. One good idea. He has one good idea, um, <laughs> and they're all like. Wow, good job, Richie. <laughs> that scene was funny to me because he's making the sandwich and then he says, you know, I signed the guest book and Duncan's like, we'll go with her. And he's, now? And just puts a sandwich yeah. down to leave. Like, he's so dejected because he, he's uh, like, dude, take the sandwich with you. He's always eating in this whole... episode because when Duncan gets <laughs> shot, he's eating again. <laughs> yeah. The whole time, though, I just thought this is big sister Tessa to little brother Richie. The whole, mm-hmm. the whole episode. Especially with the girl at the art opening and everything. Oh yeah. hundred percent going with her to, you know, figure out what's going on. It's 
little brother going with his big sister. And I like that. I like their interaction. Mm-hmm. I like the, yeah. the interplay between those two. It's great. And and honestly, I think the uh, chemistry between uh, Stan Kirsch and Alexander Vandernoot is as good, if not better, than her and Adrian Paul. Yeah, actually. You know, I, I, I find it believable that she would sort of take him in and be that big sister to him. You know, kind of oh, yeah. big sister slash uh, mom or aunt type, you know, maternal figure in his life that mm-hmm. he doesn't have. So I like that. I like any time that those two get to do scenes together because Stan Kirsch, <laughs> God love him, but man, does he does he play that kind of awkward goofball really well? Yeah. And he's just, he's and trying. They oh. did, but yeah. Sometimes and not so much. I think... Honestly, I would have skipped the whole car bit to open the episode. Just go right into the the uh, gallery opening, because that again yeah. the car the thing with the car doesn't give us anything, and it takes up a bunch of screen time. And then you can have yeah. him get his date with the girl, but it doesn't need to be a three minute montage of him walk just right. shots of him going around town with her. So that has absolutely no bearing on the rest of the episode at all. Yeah, or the rest of the series because she's never seen again. Mm-hmm. That actress had yeah. no lines. She was there probably for one day, and yeah, so trim that down a little bit. But overall, I mean, Richie's fine in the episode. Yeah, he, it's not he's a there when he's doing something. Yeah, <laughs> especially when he's doing something to help the plot. But it's mm-hmm. definitely not a bad Richie episode. Now Tessa, Tessa yeah, got no. a lot. She had a lot of meat in this episode. It's very oh, yeah. centered on her. The first half of it is all all her, and I found myself really enjoying the place they were going with Tessa in so much as like the introspection and the way she felt about Anne as a, as a fellow artist and a person. Um, Mm -hmm. To me, that was really interesting. Yeah, for sure. And I could say as someone who is an artist, went to art school, all that kind of stuff, man, artists have some weird feelings about other artists. Like that's not something that's just kind of random like that happens like sometimes you just meet somebody and you just click with them because of whatever you know or if somebody says something nice about your art you immediately love that person because they're like oh you get it yeah you like it i'm with you now yeah i totally bought into um tessa making that kind of connection and feeling that connection with somebody based solely on what this woman said about her artwork at her gallery opening. And mm-hmm. so I got that. And then, and I think it's amplified by the fact that she meets this person once, this person is kind of cryptic, then leaves. And the next time she sees her, she's witnessing her getting killed. So that's really going to mess with you even more. Mm-hmm. And then she finds out, oh, she was an artist, but she stopped painting, you know, all of this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of, a lot of introspection from Tessa that I enjoyed. And then you had also the external forces of Tessa versus the police and Mm -hmm. the police chief trying to kill Tessa and her and Duncan. And that was a great scene where Duncan once again is trying to do the thing where he, you know, he gets rid of her because there's an immortal. She calls him out on it. And Duncan wisely is like, Hey, you know what? You're right. But he doesn't admit there's an immortal on the scene. He's just like, yeah, you're right. Okay. Well, he do does. Yeah. I mean, he does, but he doesn't. He admits that there's an immortal without saying it. Sure. 
but he also then gives in to Tessa and is like, no, you're right. We can face this together. What I like about that is that's that's showing some implied growth of Duncan as a person because mm-hmm. he wants her gone to protect her. She's like, right. look, that ain't happening, okay? And, and mm-hmm. Tessa's not one to argue with. So Duncan's like, right. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Then you get Duncan, you know, following her to the safe house and the whole line about, you know, oh, I'm obsessed with you and, and that kind of stuff. Like, it, it was good... Mm-hmm good kind of character building for the two of them in their relationship because it does show how loving their relationship really is. Right. And I got to I got to give props to them from the beginning of the show when they had Tessa turn and not actually witness the actual murder and keep us all in the same suspense of did you see what you think you saw? Mhm. Yeah, the... I mean I believe Tessa, I believe the lady was murdered, but I, that's because I know what kind of TV show it is. Right. But at the same time I'm like Okay, props for not showing it. Props for making a turn. We don't get any resolution until the police get the resolution that confirms what Tess believes. Yep, exactly. I liked the whole, you know, it's it's the anything can happen during the cutaway moment. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Uh, and one thing I do have to say is when um, when Bennett is interviewing her the first time and he starts poking at the fact that she had been drinking the night before, that's a trope right. in TV that needs to go away because drinking doesn't make you hallucinate like that. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. It just doesn't. Yeah, I, I totally liked just Tessa in general in this because it's a way for her to be strong without having to like ham fist it because she's being both strong and vulnerable at the same time. She's right. she's not wanting to back down from what she saw. She's She's convinced of what she witnessed, but she's also scared that she could end up like Anne. Right. And I also very much enjoyed the interplay with Duncan. I like the fact that Duncan being is strong enough to know that he can listen to Tessa. Mm hmm. So. And also, just it's there's something to be said for the fact that we've built up enough of a character in Tessa that her stubbornness with this in this episode does not seem unfounded. Like. Mm-hmm. She is that uh, intense of a person and is not going to back down when she knows something is wrong. Yes. So, yeah. No uh, matter who tells her is not, you know, or whoever's questioning it, she's like, no, I know what I saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's strong in her convictions, and mm-hmm. that says a lot about Tessa. Rockwell, Morgenthaler, Von Holst. Hmm. Why do I get the feeling I never went to college with these guys? Probably because you never went to college. We don't have a flashback this week, but we are starting a new segment on the show, which is going to be goofy, silly, or outward, outwardly just kind of odd things in an episode. I'll start off with one that I saw, which was when Balin goes to shoot Tessa. So he they, they have the scene of him putting his rifle together, and then he wipes mm-hmm. off the window. It, to to look out the dirty window before right. opening it to look out the window. <laughs> it's like I think my who are you going to shoot through? No, no you're going to just lift the win- window. <laughs> oh, okay. Sure. Why not? Okay. That's I seem like some wasted since... motion. Yeah. You had one, right? Yeah, I noticed the house that Anne lives in. I'm pretty sure. This is like 
one of those things where they the production company bought one piece of property to use over and over because I'm pretty sure we've seen it in Deadly Medicine and Revenge is Sweet um, just from different angles. Um, yeah, just redress the room and shoot it from a different spot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just I, especially that little portico with the columns uh, by the front door seems really familiar. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it's just one of those. I just noticed it. and I'm like, using this house again. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing when it's a set where you know it's the antique store or later on the barge or something like that where you're used to going back and forth to it. But yeah, it. I did notice the columns, and I'm, I'm. 100% certain it was the same set they used for Revenge's Suite, and it wouldn't surprise mm-hmm. me at all if it was the same house in Deadly Medicine. There were a couple of lines in this episode that just made me laugh. <laughs> One was Duncan asks Richie, does your bike still haul ass? And his response is <laughs> just like Madonna's underwear. Yeah, I wrote that down too. What does that even mean? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, does that mean Madonna's got a Big ass? Are we talking about? I mean, <laughs> I don't. I just don't get the context of that one. Um, I don't remember Madonna's career in '92, but what? What's yeah. that supposed to mean? And and another great one-liner in this is Duncan runs up to the house. So so Balin puts a bomb on the safe house where Tessa is at the gas main. Duncan notices because he's watching. Runs up, sees the bomb, pulls out his pocket watch to get the timing right which I thought was kind of silly looking, but then runs up to the door. And when Sergeant Bennett opens it, he tells him while looking at his pocket watch, you have exactly under two minutes. Exactly (laughs) a little bit less. Yeah. You have exactly this amount of time. It just, ah, it, that to me was so silly. Like really? And then at 10 or what is probably 20 seconds later, he tells him he has 30 seconds. So Uh time was weird in that whole sequence. Yeah, they they tried to, but they didn't think about it that well. No. That was a funny one. No, not at all. Okay. Own... Wh- wh- Go ahead. I was just going to say, one more random thing to throw into this segment um, that I've noticed a lot now is um, the opening and then the show itself. The credits are the old square TV size. Mm-hmm. And they do the, you know, fluffy, let's expanded out on the sides like they do on the news or stuff when yeah you know, to fill out the 16 by 9 frame to yeah fill out. right but then when we get to the show it's all 16 by 9 so so that actually makes sense to me because a lot of shows were were done on film still mm-hmm. and they would shoot film at 16 by 9 and then just crop it for tv Right. So okay. I, I remember Star Trek, I think Star Trek The Next Generation did that for a while. They shot everything 16 by 9 and then mm-hmm. cropped it down. So I think okay. what happens, my guess is they were doing the same thing with Highlander. They would shoot 16 by 9, they would they would cut it down, but the opening sequence was was created 4 by 3. Right, okay. It's the only thing I could think of. But yeah, I, I do notice that on every episode. Okay. I start every episode thinking, oh, that's right. This is an old show. It's going to be four by three. And then all of a sudden the sidebars go away and I'm like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. never mind. So, right. Uh, my only other thing for this was uh, the maid and Ann Wheeler's maid. Where's she from? Cause she had oh, like yeah. a, a weird sort of European accent. Like it's Europe somewhere, but I couldn't place it. Yeah. I mean, she moved I around a lot. So her for something else. And I looked in IMDb and I couldn't find anything that I actually like 
really picked her out from, so... Yeah, me either. Is that bike of yours still haul ass? Like Madonna's underwear. Why? And that is uh, episode number 10, uh, Eyewitness. It's, it's not a bad episode. It's better than... It's not one of the bad episodes. Let's put it that way. It has faults, and it could be... It could have been better, but it's still mm-hmm. good. And it's good because of what they did with Tessa and what they gave Tessa as a character in this episode. Without that... This is as bad as Deadly Medicine, in my opinion, because of the kind of shortcomings that it has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could have been better, but there's definitely more things good than bad in it. Yeah. You know, it was a bit of a waste of uh, a decent character actor in Tom Butler as Andrew Bolland. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate. But again, that's something that the show gets better with as it goes along. We did have Tim Reed, who plays Sergeant Bennett, and he is better. Uh, than some of the other cops that we've had to we've had in the episode. I still like Powell, and I wish Powell could have stuck around, or yeah. they'd had Bennett from the beginning. One of the two. Yeah, we had very good performance and very good character work for Tessa. Uh, Richie is good in the episode, but he he has a couple of the weaker points as far as they don't move the story along at all. They're just there to give Richie some screen time, which is like it, mm-hmm. have Richie in the episode, but have him have purpose to be there yeah i thought Um, he was all right i mean usually he's the one coming up with the idea so we had what was trying to be a better version of randy mcfarland but it still just Mm -hmm. didn't quite work the character the character just isn't given enough so yeah it just you know they were trying with this one yeah and i would say it was an adequate adequate try but just didn't hit the mark that's a good way to put it and, you know, no no flashback, no real music to speak of. No. Uh, it was very, very standard music. But a solid episode. I would call this a kind of C plus, B minus. Sort of the low low end of a B, high C in terms of a letter grade for this episode. Better than some, but the faults, the, the misuse of Tom Butler as your villain and really just no, I mean, a villain in name, but he doesn't do anything. He it, It's just yeah. flat. There's a good sword fight at the end, but that doesn't make up for the character. No, no, not at all. Um, and, you know, the quickening was kind of cool with that whole Epcot Center dome light thing in the background. Mm-hmm. I did yeah. also notice that this was the first episode in a few where Duncan shows little to no remorse about what he had to do. Right. You know, we had been getting this very introspective and remorseful Duncan every time he would have to take a head. And this time around, he almost delighted in it. And I think, yeah, you know, I think that that's fine if you're going to have an evil immortal and give Duncan a reason to have that kind of reaction, but maybe just give us more to this character than hi, I'm evil. And I'm also the chief of police. And, and that was the other thing. It was making him the chief of police was a terrible plot hole that never gets mentioned again. Yeah, that was not a good way to do it. Um, maybe have him be some other detective or something that's, you know, got his ear to the wire of what's going on, but chief of police was not a good fit. No, nope, not at all. But hey, you know, we've we've seen far worse episodes and we've seen quite a bit better episodes. So, mm-hmm. uh, One other thing I wanted to talk about, I noticed that Duncan was extra jokey this episode. He was, he was. Uh, like someone- even when he got shot, he was joking about it. Yeah, which I like. I like when Adrian Paul gets to play 
gets to look like he's having fun. He doesn't always have to be stuck. For sure. Oh, yeah. It works. So Uh when we get to see more of that as the show goes on, uh, as Adrian Paul becomes a better actor. Mm -hmm. And that's why I bring it up. I just, I like seeing him joking more. I like seeing his character have fun with it. Because then you're like, then you can understand like how do i survive being 400 years old well you gotta have some fun some somehow mm-hmm. absolutely coming up next week we're going to have episode 11 which is family tree uh it's going to be a rich uh from the sound of it and from my memory it's a richie heavy epi- episode uh with him mm-hmm. and his family uh his parents i think he's searching for or something so this was aired if you go by the imdb uh order the second episode however it was production wise number 11 that's why we're watching it now so it'll be interesting to see accidentally i accidentally watched a little bit of when we were first starting like wait am i watching the right one yeah well that happens but that'll be next week and that's going to end it for this week so come back next week for family tree until then i'm travis And I'm Adi. And there can be only 109 more episodes of this show. All right. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program.